You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. This is Father James Scholl, and I would like to continue now with the introduction to the book At the Limits of Political Philosophy, which we are now considering. Again, it is a book which I encourage you to read. Uh, I will give some of it, parts of it, in uh, this oral, oral discussion. I wanted to begin with the introduction. At the Limits of Political Philosophy, as a book, it begins as does politics itself, for most of us, with those imperfect and dire conditions of human existence unsettlingly familiar to all uh, actual human beings. It begins with death, disgust, evil, suffering, injustices, even, dare I say it, hell, as uh, it presents a problem of freely chosen wrongs and their punishment. We are intellectually provoked, however, not only by our tragic experiences, but also by what is most delightful and happy about our lot. Our world includes both of these realities. Such common experience of our kind, sometimes glorious and sometimes sad, oftentimes evil, cannot but stimulate us to deep intellectual curiosity. Political philosophy, looking back on these sad or joyous realities, seek to order them in the light of higher purpose that are also intrinsic to the discipline. By its own inner intellectual dynamism, political philosophy presses to its own limits. The discipline continually leads us from its own circumscribed subject matter, human life in the city and its meaning, to more astonishing and intriguing things, to things of uncommon importance, as I call them in the title. Political philosophy enables us to formulate precise questions arising within the confines of actual political living and at the same time to prepare us to acknowledge real answers to these questions when they appear from whatever source. Political life is thus also a life of intelligence. The political animal is a reasoning animal also in his very politics. A coherent account of political philosophy will include the dignity of life in the polis together with man's frequent and definable deviations from reason occurring within civil life. Likewise, it will include those horizons that Aristotle calls the divine in man, even in the context of political things. Political philosophy legitimately asks, as Plato did, about the meaning of the human good. 
and of uh, human evil as well as about the meaning of any destiny that results from human choices, be they good or bad. The subtitle of this book reminds us that the intellectual explanations of why human things are disordered often leads to certain brilliant errors that have great historical standing. These brilliant errors, however, although their consideration is now an uh, intrinsic part of the historical record of political philosophy, do not adequately explain the reasons for the human evils or the human goods that occur in actual human cities. <clears throat> for this reason, great danger to the city as well as to human life can arise from these very errors. Aristotle advised us not only to state the true view, but also to explain the false view. For when we have an apparently reasonable explanation of why a false view appears to uh, be true, that makes us more confident of the true view. Evil, however, though it is a great dilemma and must be carefully treated, is not the greatest perplexity of political philosophy. Paradoxically, virtue, friendship, joy, and happiness are greater mysteries, realities more difficult to explain or to cope with than evil. This is why these topics are also found in the great books of the discipline. It is why I think they deserve a fresh consideration here, because we seldom seek to explain them altogether in a coherent relationship. I shall argue that a non-contradictory unity exists among these aspects of political philosophy. The problem of evil or coercion, the problem of virtue, and the problem of contemplation of the highest things. The case for this unity is not often made within the discipline. Beginning with the fact of our fallenness, to use scripture's term, or wickedness in Aristotle's term, we are led to the meaning of human life itself, whether it achieves a good and whether this good is completely comprehended or achieved by politics. Political life does exhibit a myriad of evils and of other virtues contrary to them. But neither the reality of evil nor the possibility of good within the city is completely explained within political philosophy. I do not think this incompleteness of political philosophy is a defect in the discipline, but it does indicate its very limit, the nature of its own understanding of what it is, of what it can do. The logic of thought about political things leads to political philosophy. It is, in, in its turn, by reflecting on these very political things, a political philosophy is open to metaphysics and revelation, themselves 
are grounded in events, in things, and things themselves. This logic is what is presented in this book. Those who think about political things need sober reminders about their own souls. The Czech philosopher Nicholas Lubkowitz wrote, quote, Almost everything that goes wrong um, has gone wrong in recent history of our culture originated in the minds of people such as ourselves, people who are university graduates and intellectuals, the end of the quote. St. Paul himself was concerned with the destructive consequences of philosophers who choose not to acknowledge the truth. Political philosophy, as these remarks suggest, is not an indifferent enterprise. Upon its right understanding, nations and empires rise and fall, human beings live well or ill. The complexity of political philosophy includes its seriousness, that is, the risk that its brilliant errors, if not attended to, will prove destructive to human life in actual cities. The text of this book is presented in a personal way, that is, it is written by a person. It is intends to confront objective issues. It is addressed to other minds in that respectful attentiveness that allows us, without apology, to direct our discourse to the highest things when the evidence warrants it. The reader will find here the various topics and subjects that must be treated when a whole scope of politi- within the whole scope of political philosophy is broached, when we talk about its whole field. Political philosophy, in a way that other disciplines do not, lead us naturally and logically to these considerations of higher things. The interested student of political philosophy wants at least once in his academic life Uh, perhaps once again in his uh, maturity and old age, to have such issues clearly presented to him. The spirit of this presentation is friendly. I am polemical only up to the extent of disagreement. Uh, The disagreement must be stated for the sake of truth or of good order. I am aware that the really important and central issues in political philosophy are obscured and rejected most often for fear of what they might uh, to uh, where they might lead their import for our thinking and our living. Everyone is invited to follow the text, my text, to recall Wilhelmson, uh, as presented. No one is asked to agree unless persuaded. I write these reflections on political philosophy with the realization that I too may be in error, with no doubt enough vanity to hope that, if so, it is at least a brilliant error. 
This account of political philosophy intends to present a doctrine which claims to be true, not merely another opinion. Revelation, information from Scripture or other sources of uh, presumable divine interventions, as well as philosophy, claims to be true. But this claim of revelation to be true is not an appeal to fideism, to ungrounded belief. Reasonable evidence must always be found for the possibility of revelation. I am a follower of Aquinas on this point. I think such evidence does exist. No pertinent topic that is dealt with in Revelation is, as I see it, to be excluded simply on the grounds that such revelation arises in faith. Valid reasons can exist for what we do not ourselves believe. Yet certain philosophical positions do reject the possibility of revelation. When they do, intellectual analysis examines the validity of premises that would lead to such an exclusion. The examination of philosophical premises and methods, including our own, is itself uh, part of the enterprise of political philosophy. A philosopher can understand a good deal about the content of revelation. If revelation um, deals legitimately or interestingly or even plausibly with an issue that naturally arises in politics, we must uh, contend with its implications. Revelation at its best does not deny the validity of reason. Indeed, it presupposes reason. Likewise, when revelation is most circumspect or negative about reason, it still seeks to justify itself through the use of reason. Reason, at its worst, can deny its own very existence. At its best, it is capable of coming to terms with revelation, but only if both are respectful of truth and of the logic of its conformity with reality. Both learn from each other. The whole includes both in a proper order. Much of the labor to present and critique important political philosophers has already been accomplished in the discipline. While discussion about the meaning of Aristotle or Plato or Machiavelli or Nietzsche may still be vigorous, we know for the most part what they held and why. I do not want to provide here another textbook on great political thinkers. I do not analyze given historical or actual regimes. This book begins where such efforts leave off. The most profound issues of human life paradoxically come to the fore precisely when practical issues are most adequately explained and studied. <clears throat> Students who have been given only descriptions of ideas of, of political philosophers or who study only the um, 
uh, institutional or current political side of actual governments will, if they remain at this level, miss the heart and the drama of political philosophy. We want to know what lies beyond the workings of the regime, what lies beyond the brilliant errors of the great thinkers in the field. If there are errors, we are, nevertheless, concerned with the truth that their originators were getting at in proposing them. For many things in life, to be sure, it is sufficient to have the solution for a problem without knowing either the uh, problem, uh, the problem, how the problem arose or how it was solved uh, in response to it. We may not all be plumbers to drink pure water from the tap, nor auto mechanics to be able to drive our cars. But for the highest things, practical and usable knowledge alone is not sufficient. The highest things are the property of everyone. Nevertheless, a human being must find problems in his own soul before he fully realized that solutions for them are at least proposed for his examination. The realization that certain fundamental queries exist in his own heart uh, and uh, that uh, great thinkers offer certain often contradictory solutions to them is the real context and enigma in which political philosophy lives and, yes, flourishes it. The study of political philosophy, as Aristotle described it in Book Two of the Politics, thus includes both an account of the sayings of political philosophers and a careful analysis of the constitutions and organizations of actual regimes under which men have lived. The words of the political philosophers and the experiences of men in contingent political regimes are taken for granted. The attentive reading of the classical text in political philosophy is the normal way in which political philosophy as such appears, particularly for the student who as yet lacks experience and some, <clears throat> and some means to formulate and criticize it. When Aristotle observed that the young men uh, were not apt students of political uh, politics, he meant that they lacked the experience in themselves and others of those passions, principles, goals, and yes, disorders that constitute the very stuff of politics and human life. <clears throat> but what might not initially be encountered or noticed in reality may be confronted or indicated in books, in examples to be contemplated before the actual experience arises. When experience, experiences do finally occur, they will be recognized for what they are in, the, in their moral distinctiveness because of the helps of the philosophers. The common sense encounter with politic, political things is the context of, classical, of the classical authors. 
Their teachings are directed to those students, citizens, and politicians who are able to be educated, who are willing to form their souls in the light of the right order of things. Political philosophy is not based on a skepticism about the viability or the worth of human knowledge, finite though that be. Nevertheless, political philosophy does not provide full answers to questions that arise within it uh, through its own legitimate intellectual inquiries. <clears throat> the realization of this incompleteness itself is a good thing, opens the mind to wonder about what is missing or about what is more complete. The remedial aspect of political philosophy, the issues of crime and punishment, are obvious concerns and are to be included in any philosophical discussion of the nature of political living. These realities in every human life, moreover, manifest the disorder in human nature. They signify something is wrong and something is not as it should be. Efforts to, rem to remedy evil and disorder are not equivalent, however, to another sort of incompleteness that arises quite apart from these disorders. Indeed, in the revelational tradition, evil, sin, death, and punishment did not exist in the original plan of creation. The Book of Wisdom wrote, reads, quote, Death is not God's doing. He takes no pleasure in the extinction of the living, the end of the quote. The substitutes for revelation in modern philosophy, the systems uh, we often call ideologies, also seek to remove these things, evil, suffering, even death, by economic, psychological, or political means. And yet, these surely curious similarities of purpose are not, as such, a sign that revelation is itself uh, somehow ideological, nor does it indicate that the disorders of human life are alone what causes human wonderment. If I might put it this way, political philosophy would lead to a search for the highest things, even had there been no fall, no disorder in, human, in the human condition. Revelation, I argue, Revelation meaning uh, a knowledge of um, ourselves, of God and the world that comes from, uh, uh, comes from God directly. Revelation, I argue, leads to the completion and fulfillment of political philosophy, not in any necessary or artificial way, but as an intelligible response to valid questions posed in the discipline itself. Revelation is a gift. It does not arise from human sources. It is thus not something that could be demanded or commanded. It is a rational gift, a, and it's directed to human intelligence as such, an important point. It is something to wrestle with, to ponder. 
It is important to observe, for example, that Aristotle's question questions admit of answers for us that he himself could not have weighed, since he had no a gift of revelation. Aquinas remains a key to the compatibility of reason and revelation. In the depths of our consciousness, finite intellect is pulled, to use the Platonic word, towards ends that it knows were not established by itself. <clears throat> this book is divided into four sections, uh, a four sections, three chapters each. The first section is called The Stages of Political Philosophy, and it's about the history of political philosophy, about the enduring questions, about the brilliant errors and the sober responses to them. Here we use terms the terms classical, medieval, and modern political philosophy, not as merely temporal identifications, but as intellectual distinctions. They indicate different ways uh, that reason reflects on political things. Political philosophy includes the efforts to uh, formulate and answer its own questions. The second section, The Grounds of Political Realism, uh, presents in a more detailed fashion the topics of evil, hell, and death. Political realism holds that death, evil, and suffering are permanent realities in this world. They cannot be eliminated by human means, even though certain types of ideological uh, political thinking have sought to do so. They are part of the calculus for estimating the rightness and possibility of any human political action. Each of these realities is found in the classical authors. In one way or another, they remain central issues in political philosophy and need to be presented frankly as part of its own uh, uh, subject matter. The third uh, section, at the limits of political philosophy, treats the deaths of Socrates and Christ, then of happiness and virtue. The section discusses topics that are intrinsic to the human condition and would have been, in some sense, present in, in it even if there were no evil, sin, or death, or hell to be pondered. <clears throat> the transition to the section is through the consideration of the deaths of Socrates and Christ. In these trials and death, we see ultimate issues arise in particular political instances and how answers uh, that are given, immortality and resurrection, hint at responses to questions that can arise in any existing city. What is argued more explicitly in this third section is that political philosophy brings to us certain important human issues, but that each issue uh, also leads beyond itself. It does this aside from any logical human power to make it otherwise. But political philosophy cannot legitimately refuse the task of thinking about these realities. 
no questions serve more clearly to show this high characteristic of human life than those of the meaning of happiness and of virtue. The fourth section, Political Philosophy and the Things of Uncommon Importance, addresses science, law, and friendship. Here are raised questions of truth, good, and love that are not adequately understood if viewed only in their political context. The uncommon importance of these ideas requires that no political philosophy, philosophy that claims to deal with actual human beings can neglect these considerations, for they constitute the deepest meaning of human experience. The perplexity of political philosophy as seen in these realities that arise within the city direct us beyond the limits of the discipline. To understand political philosophy as pointing beyond itself in its own natural way um, seems odd. We compartmentalize political things and we do not see the implications of the whole to which the parts are leading us. The wholeness or completeness of political philosophy, however, is the result not of philosophical necessity, but of a converging persuasion about certain questions within the discipline and possible answers to them. Religion can at least consider revelation as a possible answer to its own perplexities that are not solved or on reason's own terms. Reason cannot exclude revelation as uh, not pertinent if these convergences constantly reoccur. The responses of revelation to questions arising in the city may or may not be believed, but we cannot not maintain that certain responses of revelation are not at least possible answers to the questions properly posed in political philosophy. More than anything, the pointing out of such convergences is what constitutes the uniqueness and purpose of these particular reflections. Philosophy cannot, by its own methods, arrive at revelation, except that it can be curious about the existence of arguments from reason that also appear in revelation. We have not two entirely unrelated discussions, one of reason and one of revelation, but one discussion in which both reason and revelation are coherent elements. This interrelatedness does not mean that reason by its own powers can arise to faith, nor does it mean that faith will make us good philosophers without any effort on, uh, in our brains on our part. But a coherent exposition of the whole uh, in which both reason and revelation are actively present is possible. A plausible presentation of the practical and theoretical whole is what is more lacking, most lacking in contemporary discourse in political philosophy. 
Their brilliant errors must be discussed as realities in political philosophy. The abiding questions are likewise essential. The answers to revelation and metaphysics to these questions cannot intellectually or morally be ignored, partially, particularly, when they are directed to the questions that political philosophy itself formulates. These answers are essentially are essential parts of the whole of political philosophy and appear properly at its very limits. A student of politics who studies only politics cannot be a good political philosopher. Furthermore, the lack of a uh, spare, uh, sustained uh, account of the higher reaches of uh, political philosophy has, on the other hand, left politics open to ideology and, on uh, the other, caused it to fail to understand its own proper dignity. After years of teaching political philosophy and meditating on its relation to the rest of human things and experience, I conclude, concluded that the discipline needed a more complete account of the question that bring political philosophy from within itself to its own limits. This discourse is what I present here. The subject matter is intrinsically exciting and moving. Once we begin to feel the perplexity, perplexing incompleteness that surrounds political philosophy at its best. The alert student, professor, or reader in political things needs to know where the discipline of political philosophy might go with its questions if freely followed to its own logic. No one would suggest uh, that the solutions to world problems lie in political philosophy alone. But mistakes in political philosophy can and do cause enormous sufferings and disorders in actual human lives, cities. We needn't deny the, real the reality of chance uh, to observe that good action uh, usually flows from good thought, from right understanding, and from good willing uh, consequent on it. Political philosophy cannot be blind to metaphysics, theology, literature, and science if its own questions naturally and logically uh, lead to these disciplines. But we will see how this intellectual progress might happen only when we begin in politics and in political philosophy itself. The philosophers, moreover, teach um, serious students, whom I will call, in the Platonic tradition, potential philosophers, what to look for in civil life. Experience, in turn, once possessed, can ground and modify what is initially learned from books, from the books of the philosophers. The philosophers' books are intended to teach us to recognize what is. When the philosophers themselves, however, are confused, reality, what is, that which 
uh, provokes the original, the origins of our consciousness can uh, correct their errors, brilliant or not. Politics does deal, and properly, with the things of this world, with what goes on <clears throat> during our lives on earth, uh, with the life of doing and of making, as Aristotle called it. That is why the, that is why the politics of human beings in actual cities must be treated in a complete philosophy. Much of the dissatisfaction with political philosophy is due to its own methodological limits. Reality is reduced to a function of the method used to discover it. But there are methods that are not narrowly scientific. Politics deals with human choices. Its subject matter can never be modeled on the principles that govern physical sciences, principles that do not find their subject matter rooted in free choice. The problem of methods properly belongs to the sphere of political philosophy, since it must estimate whether a method includes the essential reality on which politics and human life are based. Realities perceived but are not adequately confronted in intellectual discourse disturb the souls of the potential philosophers. In modern experience, the soul remains empty even after its um, having been provoked out of its youth or its slumber or its uh, habits by the challenging, searing words of the philosophers or by the unavoidable enigmas or degradations arising from living in real cities. Real beginnings of intellectual life are neglected or denied because of the pressures of life, especially of disordered life, or because of the limitations of method used to deal with it. The confusions of the philosophers themselves can hinder this enterprise, and likewise a polity can, by its coercive power, prohibit honest questions and legitimate answers because it seeks to protect itself from being critiqued by philosophy or revelation. Granted that political philosophy is true, if, uh, if it is a true, if treacherous uh, path to the uncommonly important things, how is one to set forth on it? Two ways seem plausible. One way is to follow um, a basic text or discourse that directly names the issue and presents the arguments that support their uh, inclusion in political philosophy. The other way is to take the student and the reader uh, through the intellectual experiences, particularly those described in the classical authors, uh, of, on which a distinct treatment of the basic issues was initially grounded. In this book, I will follow the first way. I will present my text or reading of these essential themes of political philosophy 
that lead to the highest things. A corresponding program throughout the classical literature is suggested in Chapter 2 on the history of political philosophy. These ways complement each other. The basic text in, of this book is a sustained discourse about the reaches of political philosophy. Students are often surprised to find out where certain seemingly ordinary or common things, such as friendship, actually lead. Political philosophy cannot be itself if it is restricted only to the things, um, to those things normally considered political by the methodology of the discipline or by the theories of the professors. This text is a declaration of independence, as it were. It does not find it strange that either Aristotle, metaphysics, or the epistle to the Romans, let alone Plutarch or Samuel Johnson, might have something pertinent to contribute to the subject, to the subject matter of political philosophy. With this sense of liberty, we can begin. When we finally end, we shall possess a more complete understanding of the wholeness to which political philosophy directs us. Political philosophy is presented here soberly, within the intellectual discourse of our times as we have received it from our predecessors. But it is directed to understanding the truth. This more complete statement about political philosophy is not easy to find or to comprehend when discovered. In the end, this discourse argues to the truth of things through political things. A concern about truth remains the main reason for presenting any discussion of intellectual things as they touch human beings. Political philosophy, in its most serious reflections, does require us to wonder about the truth of things, including political things, and about the truth to which political things lead us at its limits and beyond itself. The end of the introduction. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.